rest in the service this morning. I really appreciated the emphasis Eric on those in your songs today seem to be on the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit is here in our, in our midst. We've invited Him to be with us a number of times in, in our singing. And I certainly want to invite Him to be present here in the sharing of the Word. The title to this morning's message is What It Means to Worship. Our text is from John chapter 12, the first eight verses. The setting of this text takes us to the final week in the life of Jesus. The crucifixion is just a week away, and Jesus had come into Jerusalem area in spite of the threat to his life. If you read John 11, the last few verses, it talks about the fact that the religious leaders were threatening Jesus, and they were asking anyone to let them know when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem so that they could apprehend him. They made a supper for Jesus that evening in a little town of Bethany. Bethany was located about two miles to the east of Jerusalem on the southeastern slope of the Mount of Olives near the road that went down to Jericho. And in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, they tell us that the gathering took place in the home of Simon the leper. That was his house in which this gathering took place. That may not mean a lot to you, but it meant a lot to the people of that day because Simon the leper was a very lonely man before he was healed. And he could not live in his own house. He, could, he had to live in a little enclave outside of the city. And the, the lepers of those days lived in little colonies. And they had to cover their upper lip to let people know that they were, in fact, uh, leprous. And they needed to yell out when anybody came close, unclean, unclean. And he didn't dare to approach them because of their contagious disease. But Simon had obviously been healed. We don't know that Jesus healed him, but I believe that he did. You couldn't have gathered at Simon's house earlier. Lazarus was there. And if you think it was a stretch to have the supper at Simon's house, you've got to think just a little bit about Lazarus, because Lazarus was alive again. He had been a corpse just recently, stone cold dead. But Jesus had raised him from the dead. And now they were eating dinner together. I would have loved to sit in on that dinner conversation as people asked Lazarus what it was like to be dead and to be raised again. That would have been very interesting to me. Martha was there, busy making sure that things would happen, making sure that the food was prepared, and serving it and doing for Jesus what she could do. This is a special dinner, I think, in Jesus' honor. And I'm sure she made it extra special. The food was just right, and there was plenty of it. Mary was there, Martha's sister. And I'd like for you to imagine with me things from her perspective for a few minutes. See her glance around the room. The men are sitting at the table. 
they eat separately from the women and children, and they're reclining on low couches with their legs out the side, as they did in those days. Besides Jesus and Simon and Lazarus, there are Jesus' disciples. It's so good to have Jesus there. She looks at Simon. She remembers how lonely he had been. Then Mary's eyes soften, moisten as she looks at Lazarus. She can't believe that she has her brother back. How different life was in her little house now that her family is all together again. And then she looks at Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. He made all things new. Just His Word had brought such life and joy. Nothing was the way it used to be, all because of Jesus. And I think her emotions began rising within her. So without saying anything to anybody, she went back to her room or wherever she had it, and she got this bottle of expensive perfume, ointment. It was kept hidden because it was the most valuable thing that the family possessed. She approaches the table with this, this jar of ointment, this bottle, this jar of perfume. She breaks it open, the Bible says. She breaks it open and she pours some of it on Jesus' head. Matthew and Mark tell us that she poured it on Jesus' head to anoint him as king. I think it was symbolic of that in Matthew and Mark. John doesn't record that here. And then she puts forth the rest of it on Jesus' feet. And then she gets down on her knees and she wipes the ointment off uh, dries it up, whatever was going on the floor, perhaps, with the, her hair. It was very unusual for a woman of that day to do this kind of thing. But Mary was so overtaken with her love for the Lord that that's what she did. And I think the scent from the perfume was just enveloping the room. It was a very strong perfume, and you could smell it all over the room. Extensive perfume. And Jesus would have this perfume, this scent on him over the next few days as he approached Calvary, as he approached the cross. And he knew he spoke of the love of Mary for her master. And the story of what Mary did is still part of our experience. We talk about it today because of her great love that she had for her Master. I invite you to open your Bibles to our text, John chapter 12. I want to read that text. John chapter 12, the first eight verses. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. John 12, begin reading in verse 1. Six days before the Passover... Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet from her, with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, who was he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. What does worship mean? What does it mean to worship? I want to begin with the definition for worship. And this is taken from an old dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, in 1828. Worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. That is what worship is, is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. Psalm 29, verse 1 and 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Ascribing to the Lord the honor that is due His name. That is what worship consists basically of. Is to give extravagant love to Jesus. A definition from Fred Bittner in his book, The Art of Worship, he says, when we use the word worship, we must make a broad stroke with our definition. It must include corporate settings as well as personal one-on-one time with Jesus. It includes singing praises and being quiet. It involves prayer, reading, serving, preaching, and evangelism. Worship takes place on Sunday, but it also takes place every other day of the week. In fact, corporate worship should be a reflection of the worship we experienced the previous six and a half days, as well as the springboard for our worship in the, in the week to come. I like that. John Piper defines it this way. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, praising God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things, and then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. That is what worship is. Worship is giving God His rightful place in our lives and experience. Worship requires me to fulfill the role that God intended for me to have, acknowledging who I am and who God is to me. Worship is giving God honor with every faculty that I possess. My mouth proclaims the goodness and love of my Creator. My hands and feet worship God through acts of service. My inner being is drawn toward God through love and devotion to Him. I was reading a message that John Kessler preached, and he characterizes worship as dangerous. He said, worship is dangerous. And part of it is it's because it's not sincere. Often our worship is not sincere, and that becomes dangerous to us. 
Jesus quoted from the prophet Isaiah when speaking to the religious establishment of his day. He says, and he's quoting from Isaiah 29, verse 13, he says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. I don't know what you felt when you came to church this morning to worship. I hope you came to worship. I don't know sure exactly what all I was thinking. But my worship of God is, cannot be something that's put on, that's put on on the outside of me. I can look so good, and I can come so good into an assembly like this, and I can say amen, and I can praise the Lord, and I can be reverent, and all these things, because that's what's expected of me. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm worshiping, that I'm worshiping God sincerely. Worship must be done with sincerity. It's the condition of our heart towards God. When we bow before Him, when we honor Him, when we lift Him up, it's not mindless. It does come from our heart. It's an emotional thing often. It can be. But it needs to be mindful because I understand who God is. I read the Word and I understand who God is. And I honor God in contemplation. Worship is not something only that Christians do. People worship. People worship something. And today, those people who have decided not to go to church and worship in an assembly such as this are worshiping something else. More than likely, they're worshiping something else. Maybe it's a hobby they have. Maybe they're out swinging a golf club and that's their worship. That is their devotion. It's now shared in some other way. Worship is not only what Christians do. It is what we honor. It's what we put at the, at the top of our list. This morning, I want to use the story that is shared for us in John chapter 12 to demonstrate, to illustrate for us what worship is, what it means to worship. I want to look at three different individuals that were there in that, dare we say, worship service during that supper that was given in Jesus' honor. There were three people that worshipped that night, and there were others probably, but I want to pick out three. And they are Martha, and they are Mary, and they are Lazarus, the close friends of Jesus. And they all worship Jesus in their own way. Martha, Martha is worshiping God by serving. She made the dinner. Lazarus is deep in fellowship with the Master. He is worshiping in communion with God, with Jesus. And Mary is pouring out her heart in a sacrificial offering to her Master. So the first definition of what it means to worship is that worship is service. Worship is service. Martha is worshiping by what she is doing. Martha is worshiping by what she is doing. And that's the way many of you worship God. By what you do, your acts of service are a worship of God. Martha was hustling around and sweating in the kitchen, planning the meal, cleaning up the house, getting her hands dirty in the flour. She was worshiping. 
she was worshiping by what she was doing. Maybe Martha could not express her love for God as well as some. Many of us can, but we can do it by serving. Maybe she showed her love better with the food that she prepared. We too worship God by serving Him. We show our allegiance. We show our love. We show our devotion. We show that we think highly of Him. We put our hands and feet where our mouth is. I invite you to open your Bibles now to Romans chapter 12. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Talks about serving as an act of worship. Romans 12, I want to read verse 1 and then 6 to 8. Romans 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It is your act of worship is your body being presented to God. Then verse 6, down to verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Our bodies are given in sacrifice to God. They should be. This is our act of worship. We make what God has given to us available to Him for His service. We do this continually, day in and day out. That is our worship experience. You may not think about that as a, as a mother, perhaps, in your family. That you're worshiping God by serving your family. You're worshiping God. You may not think about it, and I think especially of it, I hope she's not embarrassed, of man teaching school this past year. That was her act of worship. She was serving these school children. There would be many of you here that have served and have served faithfully. And in serving, you are worshiping. You are worshiping God. And we are doing it day in and day out. We're not doing it on Sunday, necessarily. We may also on Sunday. But we're worshiping God by the things that we do. And the gifts that you've been given in the church for use in the assembly, by using those, by using those, we are worshiping. We're worshiping God. Serving is not so splashy. It's often in the background. People may forget about you. Many times they do. People may take you for granted. Granted, many times they do. It's not about people, is it? It really isn't. It's about worshiping God in the way that He gifted us to do. It's about being faithful. And I think Jesus probably came up to Martha at the end of that dinner. She said, thank you, Martha. Thank you. Thank you for the meal. And that's all Martha needed. That's all Martha needed. It was the equivalent of her gospel. And that's all we need as we serve daily. Affirmation from God. We know that we bring honor and glory to the Master by being faithful in the station that God has placed us. We can teach, we can encourage, we can help out, we can clean up the dishes from the kitchen for God's glory, and it is an act of worship for us. Service brings happiness. More and more as I go through life, I understand that service brings happiness. The people who serve 
are the happiest people. Happiness is a byproduct of service. You can go out and look for happiness in all kinds of pursuits. You can go out and look for happiness in other people. You can go look at for happiness wherever you may go looking for happiness. And you won't find it until you learn to serve others, serve God, and then you'll be very happy. I can guarantee it. I can guarantee you happiness as you serve others and you serve God. Albert Schweitzer says, One thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. So that's the first aspect of worship that I want to highlight this morning from this passage. It's worship is service. Martha worships by serving. The second aspect of worship that we can take from this passage is that worship is fellowship. Fellowship with God. Fellowship with others. Communion with God. Our text, verse 2, says, So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Lazarus worshipped by fellowshipping with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. He laughed. He talked. He told stories. I can hear him describe what it was like to wake up and try to walk in those gray clothes. Can't you hear that? I would have loved to hear. You can, I think we can ask Lazarus someday what it was like. But we will actually have gone through those experiences ourselves by that time, won't we? We're all going to be raised at some point from the dead, unless we're alive when Christ returns. I think Lazarus is kind of a low kind of low-key kind of person, not making waves, but just enjoying communication, content to be where he was, basking in the presence of the Savior, thankful to be alive. I want to share with you an illustration that Stuart Sachs from Villanova, Pennsylvania, shared. He's a returned missionary. He says, while I was serving in Paraguay, a Maka Indian named Raphael came to sit on my porch. I was eating and went out to see what he wanted. He responded, come Henek Met. Again, I asked what I could do for him, but the answer was the same. I understood what he was saying, but not as significant. He said, I don't want anything. I had just come near. I later shared the incident with the local veteran missionary and he explained that it was Raphael's way of honoring me. He really didn't want anything. He just wanted to sit on my porch. He found satisfaction and pleasure just being near me. What brings you here, my child? The Lord asks. Come, Hennet, next. I just want to be near Doesn't that reveal the heart of true worship? I want to honor God with being in His presence as we are this morning and hopefully every morning as we approach the presence of God. We just want to be near. We just want to be near. We just want to be near God in this worship. We honor God when we put aside our own things to respond to time with Him. We acknowledge who He is, using the attributes of God as a way to thank Him for who He is. That's been one of my habits in the last number of years, is just beginning my prayer with acknowledging God, who He is. 
is holy, he's merciful, he's gracious, he is a good God, and I and I acknowledge that as I sit there with him. We praise him, we, we bring our requests before him, we listen, we talk, we laugh, we cry. This is worship. Hebrews 13, verse 15 says, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of worship. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. That is often given as a salvation passage. You know, you open the door to Jesus. But I don't think it's really necessarily even primarily that. It is an invitation to each one of us to daily open the door to God. Daily open the door to God. He says, I'm there knocking on the door. And I want to come in. I want to eat dinner with you. I want to spend time with you. He's there knocking patiently. And we open the door. And we say, Jesus, come in. Come in. Come in. Sit down. Let's pray for it together. That's worship. That is worship. I hope you've been doing this this morning already and are doing it now in our worship service. Jesus understands where we come from. He enjoys our company. We enjoy His company. And we go away refreshed with having spent time with Him. I thought of the patriarch Jacob as a young man. He was leaving his home to go off to, to Haran. And you remember that vision that he had well, probably the first night on his journey toward Haran. And in that vision, he saw a ladder reaching from heaven to earth and angels of God ascending and descending. He called it Bethel, the house of God. That was fellowship with God. And I want to say like I did with the first attribute of worship and that fellowship brings happiness. That's not the focus of worship, but it is the byproduct of worship. We spend time together, and I trust that you all will go away from the worship service this morning happy, satisfied, blessed, because of the fellowship that you have here. The time of fellowship. Finally, worship is extravagant love. Worship is not only service and fellowship, but it is extravagant love. John 12, verse 3 says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary was spending a lot of time with, at the feet of Jesus. In an earlier account, we read how she was at his feet listening to his words. She was there when Lazarus died, letting him know her grief. Here she is showing her deep love for Jesus. Her deep 
deep love for Jesus. I share with you a few words from Kathy Tricoli. Some of you know her as a musician. She says, In the days Jesus was on earth, when a young woman reached the age of availability for Mary, her family would purchase an alabaster box for her and fill it with precious ointment. The size of the box and the value of the ointment would parallel her family's wealth. This alabaster box would be part of her dowry. When a young man came to ask for her hand in marriage, she would respond by taking the alabaster box and breaking it at his feet. This gesture of anointing the feet showed him honor. Mary's perfume was very valuable indeed, probably worth a year's wages. And I'd really like for you to take this, that into perspective a little bit. It doesn't mean a lot to us until we put it in our terms. A year's wages. What does a person make? Thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year? Can you imagine that amount of money for that expensive, expensive, expensive perfume? But she broke it. She chose to break the box and pour some of his perfume on the head of Jesus. Then she sank to her knees and poured the rest on his feet, wiping them with her long and flowing hair. It doesn't matter to her that she is risking her pride, her reputation, and her dowry. She is ready to abandon all for Jesus. When we die to ourselves, when we break our alabaster box, it's an act of faith that from death will come life. Do we believe there will be a resurrection? So often we don't believe it. We don't want to die to ourselves because we don't believe God will do His part. But He will. All our lives we will resist the need to break our alabaster boxes. We must remember to cling desperately to the One who is crazy about us, to the One who has promised us wholeness, to the One who has promised never let us go. As believers, we will make sacrifices the world will not understand because of our love for Christ. And as we die to ourselves and to submit to Him, we will also experience a joy and a peace the world can never know. This is a reading from Catholic Nicole. The disciples thought it was a waste. Um, the bottle cost much of the year's wages. It was all used up in one pouring. This is crazy. This is insane. What a waste. People who worship God are nuts. I'm crazy. It's a little crazy. I hope you are. We're just a little bit off the beam. We do things that don't make sense. We do things that don't make sense financially. We do things that don't make sense for our own preservation. We do things that don't make sense. We're nuts. You shouldn't waste money on stuff like that. But we do it in our worship of God. We do it in just a little crazy. Worship is more than praise. It involves giving, it involves sacrifice. It involves giving something of our resources, our money, our time. This is the story of Mary and Jesus. Everything else seems small and pale in comparison to her instantaneous, almost reckless, pouring out of one year's income over the head and feet of her Lord. 
that made Mary want to do something like that. Mary, you could say thank you, thank you, thank you. Mary, you could bow down and reverently worship. Mary, you could practice emptying your mind of all other distracting thoughts. All these are good things. These things didn't, don't set Mary apart so that even today we talk about her and this incident in the life of Jesus. Her extravagant gift of love is what sets her apart. And we talk about her to this day because of what she did. Those magi who came from the East to worship Jesus, why did they bring these gifts with them? Why did they bring these expensive things along with them, gold and frankincense and myrrh? They brought them as an offering, as a sacrifice. Psalm 96, verse 8 and 9 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Do come into His courts. Don't come without an offering. Everyone would say that Mary was pouring out her love for Jesus. It was more than that. Everyone in the room loved Jesus except Judas. Mary poured about, out about a year's worth of wages. Mary made a sacrifice. That's why we remember her today. Mark, in the account of Mark, that Mark gives of this supper, he writes, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Worship is the sacrifice that we bring to God. You cannot separate worship from sacrifice. God wants our words of praise. God wants our adoration. It can become just words if there is not a sacrifice brought along. Worship is extravagant. Mary understood that nothing less than her best will express her worship. That's the whole point. Nothing but our best is worship. There's a time to be cautious and there's a time to be extravagant when you worship the God. And I think that goes kind of hard for us as good Mennonite upbringing people. We're taught to be thrifty. We're taught to be very cautious about how we do things. But in, in, a, in, a, in a bigger sense, an extravagant gift, an extravagant offering is, is, is a token of worship. It's a crude illustration, but I'm going to share it anyway. How many of you remember driving down around in our community, maybe yes, around here, some other places probably even more, and you go back over Christmas time and you see these big displays out in front of the homes. They're, they're kind of chintzy looking a lot of them. They've got these blown up Santa Claus and they've got all this, you know, the reindeer and all this stuff and pink, pink flamingos. I guess they've got Christmas. But anyway, they've they got all these lawn ornaments all out there and you say, they're not stupid. And People spend a lot of money on stuff like that. Every year, this is a big deal to them. They'll spend hundreds of dollars on these stupid displays, if you will. And you say, you're nuts. You're stupid. Why are you doing this? How many of you know Elvis things? 
I do have met a few people who are amazed at me that there are others out there. So. But they're not. They do stupid things because that is their, that is their extravagance. That is their thing. That is their stick. And they throw money and stuff in it. They go and visit down in, in Graceland and they, they do all this stuff. And they're crazy. They're stupid. My question to you is, are you a little bit off to be into Jesus? Are you doing stuff that people would say is crazy to God? Are you doing things that don't make sense to God? Are you making a sacrifice, something that really costs for God? Some of you young people might go into voluntary service for a couple of years. Don't make sense. You need to get on with your life. You need to make money. You need to get ready to get married. You need to you need to get all this stuff. You need to get your stuff in a row. And here you are wasting a couple of years off in service somewhere. Don't make any sense. It's an act of worship. It's an act of service. Stuff that don't make any sense. Worship doesn't make sense to many people. Why would you do what you just did? Some of you are doing this in the church here and in the community here. You're making sacrifices, big sacrifices that don't make sense because of your love for God. All three of Jesus' closest friends worked at Jesus that day at Simon's house. Martha in serving, Lazarus in fellowship, and Mary to an extravagant gift of love. I want to close the message this morning and, and, and say that our worship is our response to God. Our worship is our response to God. He loved us first. He poured out His love for us. We love Him because He first loved us. Worship is the response of the heart who has experienced the pouring in of God's love. How many of you have experienced God's love being poured into your life? Raise your hand. How many of you have experienced God's love pouring into your life? Yes, you have. I have. God so loved us when it was crazy for Him to do that. When we were still resisting Him. When we were still His enemies. He poured His love into our hearts. And we don't understand that. It don't make any sense to us why God would do that. Why would He come and love us so deeply? What is our response to something like that? It is worship. That's what it is. We worship God. We say, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We worship God. We, we bow before Him and say, God, we worship You. You loved us first. And we want to love you back. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? Worship is all about Jesus. Worship is all about Jesus. And just a little personal testimony. Recently, I've had some rough patches in my life. And I, I'm like thinking about myself and how miserable I am and how, how things are going and things are all the reversals that are happening. And suddenly I realized... I'm miserable because I'm thinking about my circumstance. 
I'm miserable because I'm thinking about what's going wrong. I think about God and I think about Jesus and I start looking at Jesus and I start focusing on Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's where it's at. That's where it is. Focus on God. Focus on Jesus. And within your heart, within your heart, you're well up to worship for God. And your worship for God is going to be bring you such peace and joy as you, as you worship God. And you understand that God is in control. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is here. Worship wants to pour out that love because you cannot contain it. He served us first. He came and healed the brokenhearted. He delivered the captives. He met our needs. He loved us by serving us. He reached out to us in fellowship when we were his enemies, when we were unlovely, when we were hateful. He stands awaiting at the door of our hearts and patiently knocks, asking permission to come in and have communion with us. He loves us by desiring our fellowship. He made the ultimate sacrifice of love on the cross. He gave the full proof of his extravagant love. And it was still, I think, on his body with faint odor. Now that perfume that Mary had poured on him. Worship of God celebrates Christ. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We commemorate his death. We celebrate his life. Let us worship him today by serving him, by spending time in fellowship with him, and by bringing a sacrifice into His presence. And God bless you.